0: But unfortunately, what happens is within a few weeks, all of those decisions are forgot about and there's no lasting fruit uh, from from these quote-unquote emotional decisions uh, that were made. So so what I want to focus on is not trying to whip people into a frenzy, but to see a real revival, a real change of heart, a real understanding of, of God's will and a real submittal uh, to God's will. So I've been praying and I am praying that God would really use this time to to kind of get us shaken up and get us focused on God's will for our lives. And and, uh, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. And if you're not in in the Bible, go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. All five messages are going to be from this text uh, that you guys are memorizing. Uh, We're going to start in verse number 18, and the text goes through verse number 26. So all five messages are going to be taken from this this portion of Scripture. Luke 8... 9 verses 18 through 26 and today in each message is going to answer one question and so if you're looking for a title for the message uh, the the title is a question and the question is who is Jesus who is Jesus in fact this is a very important question this may be the most important question that anyone could ever answer you know if, if you're asked who is Jesus Uh, This is a very important question because this question can determine where you'll end up in eternity. If if you get the wrong Jesus, you you don't get salvation. You know, there's a lot of Jesuses in the world today, a lot of different Jesuses. There's a a lot of different people, a lot of different religions, a lot of of different uh, groups of of people, denominations have different ideas about who Jesus really is. Is And so we need to understand what the Bible teaches us about Jesus. Let's say Muslims, okay? Muslims teach, they they believe in Jesus. They they teach that Jesus was a prophet of Allah who never died on a cross because Allah would never let one of His uh, true prophets die in a way that Jesus did, right? He wasn't God, but they believe in Jesus. Will that Jesus save them? No, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Mormons say that Jesus is the brother of Satan, that He did not... Eternally pre-exist with God. He was created. He has a heavenly mother. And Jesus became God through his obedience. Is that the Jesus of the Bible? Will that Jesus save? No. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they teach that Jesus is not God. He's actually Michael the archangel who came to this earth to teach us about God. Will that Jesus save anyone? No, that's not the right Jesus. Buddhists teach that Jesus lived many previous lives because they believe in reincarnation and he was one of the teachers of the way is that the jesus of the bible no hindus believe that jesus was a wise man a holy man even a god but they remember they have an innumerable amount of gods many many millions of gods will that jesus save anyone no Jews believe that Jesus was a teacher who had many disciples and, and claimed to be the Messiah, but he was crucified, and this is the proof that he wasn't the Christ. It, will, will that Jesus save anyone? No, it won't. Atheists believe that Jesus was a fanatical Jewish rabbi who said some things that were pretty radical for his day, but he was not God and he cannot save anyone from anything. Will, will that Jesus save anyone? No. In the postmodern society that we live in today, uh, people don't have any problem if you believe that Jesus is a way, a way. But when you say that Jesus is the way, so we were talking about the exclusivity of Jesus, he's the only way, that's when you have problems in our world today. They don't have any issue. You know, all roads lead to God. Many ways, many paths to God. You find your way, I'll find my way. You have your truth. I have my truth. But the Bible says that all truth is God's truth. And and for us to understand the truth, we must go to God's word. We must go to the Bible and find out who Jesus is is because there's a lot of people today that have a false representation of who Jesus is. Even in, quote-unquote, Christianity, popular Christianity today, there's a lot of people that have a misconception. They don't really understand who the biblical Jesus is. If you're going to leave it all on the court, as we're talking about, you must first get on the court, (laughs) right? You need to get on the team. And, And for you to get on the team, you need to understand who Jesus is. So in our text, we're going to look at verses 18 through 20 in this sermon. So I want you to read with me Luke 9, 18 through 20. It says, And it came to pass, as he, and this is Jesus, was alone praying, his disciples were with him, and he asked him, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist, but some say, Elias. And others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. But he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be with us during this time. Wake us up to your truth. Have your will and way amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So there are two questions that are asked of Jesus to his disciples in this text. Two questions who do the people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? And Jesus got two different answers to that one question. One answer will send you to hell. Another answer will save you. And so we must understand uh, what this is talking about here. Now, if we were to look at, at, at Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9 is a very long uh, chapter. There's a lot of different things in the chapter. But the main theme of Luke chapter 9 is discipleship. Jesus starts off the, the, the chapter with discipleship. He ends the chapter with discipleship. And right here in the middle, in the heart of the chapter, he's talking about discipleship. What it really means, what it really costs, what it really looks like to be a true disciple of Christ. Uh, uh, God is showing us that, uh, what the true cost of discipleship. Uh, so in order to be a disciple, we need to understand who the master is. We need to understand who the teacher is. That's why we must look at verses 18 through 22. You know, the most important part of this verse, you could say, the the main thrust of this text is verses 23 through 26. But for us to get to 23 through 26, where Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship, uh, we must first understand who the master is. We must first understand who Jesus is. The doctrines of Christ and the gospel are foundational And they are preemptive. We must understand them before we could ever become a disciple of Christ. That's why this morning for this sermon, we're just going to look at verses 18 through 20. And we are answering the question, who is Jesus? Now look at verse number 18 with me again. It says, and it came to pass as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. He asked them saying, whom say the people that I am? What's interesting is Jesus in the midst of all of his busyness, what is he doing? he's praying. I don't know if there's anyone that was busier that had a a less personal time than Jesus when he was doing his earthly ministry, but he always found time for prayer. And that's a really good example for me that Jesus in the midst of all of his business, he had all these excuses not to pray, right? Uh, He was constantly praying. And if the son of God prayed, then I think you and I need prayer, don't we? All right, and so right after uh, this prayer, Jesus asks his disciples the first of two questions. The first question is Whom, whom do the people say? Whom say the people that I am? Now, I want to ask three questions of this one question. Why did Jesus ask his disciples this question? So let's say the first possibility is maybe Jesus was asking this question because he was insecure. Maybe Jesus was asking this question like, uh, Ladies, don't don't get offended, right? Maybe like an, like a, a teenage girl saying, "Hey, what do you think? Does Rob like me or not?" Or you know, was he was he asking it because he was seeking uh, uh, approval from, from someone else? Is, is that the reason why Jesus was asking this question? What do you think was Jesus insecure was is that why he was asking? So I don't I don't I think we can all answer this question with a resounding no. Jesus was not asking this question because he was insecure, he was trying to boost his self-esteem. What does he think about me? What does she, you know, that's not what why Jesus was asking this question. The second question is was Jesus asking this question because he was seeking the approval of the masses? So was he asking this question to find out if his, his marketing campaign was working or not, right? Are people really understanding what I'm saying? Are people really understanding my message? How do we need to fine-tune our message so that we can reach the mo- maximum amount of people? Is that, is that why Jesus was asking this question? I think we can all say no, right? And the third, the third question is, uh, was Jesus asking this question because he didn't know the answer to this question? And I hope you can all shake your heads like this and say, no, he knew the answer to this question, right? If you you say yes to that question, you're actually a a heretic. You don't believe that Jesus was was God who knows everything. Uh, But but I think we all understand that Jesus knew the answer to the question that he was asking. Because John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, it says, now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus... Did not commit himself unto them. Jesus didn't believe in their belief. He didn't trust himself unto them. Why? Because he knew. What, it says uh, because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of men, for he knew what was in man. So Jesus, even though uh, he uh, uh, submitted himself to the will of the Father, even though that he lived as a human, he still was omniscient. He still knew everything, and he still knew what was going on in the hearts of the people who he was teaching and, and to whom he was preaching, and the people whom uh, who he was serving right so jesus knows what is going on inside of your heart your youth director may not know what's going on in there your parents may not know but god knows god knows everything so if jesus isn't asking the question because he's insecure because he's seeking the approval of the masses or because he didn't know why did jesus ask this question Now, here's here's my opinion. Here's uh, what I believe the Bible teaches. Jesus wasn't asking this question for those reasons. Jesus was asking this question to mark the difference between unsaving faith and saving faith, between the faith that the masses had and the faith that the disciples had. You know, the Bible teaches that you can have a faith that doesn't save. James chapter 2. James chapter 2 talks about two different types of faith. We don't have the time to get into it. Maybe you could look into it tomorrow morning in your devotion. Read James chapter 2 and ask yourself the question, what kind of faith do I have? Because in James chapter 2, there's two types of faith. There's saying faith and there's saving faith. There's a faith that says, I believe in God. I believe that Jesus is Christ, but it doesn't work. There's no proof of the fact that that, that there's salvation there, that I actually believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord, that He's my Savior. And then there's saving faith, true faith, because true faith is always manifested, is always made public by works, all right? So let me ask you a question. If, or, or, think about this. If I tell you that I hate Brother Gable, I hate him, I can't stand him, I can't stand anything about him, right? And that's what, that's, those are the words. Those are my, that's my profession. But then in real life, when I see him, I, I give him a hug and I say, hey, buddy, how's it going? And ask him about his kids. And, and, and you know, there's something not right here, right? My words and my actions don't line up, right? And uh, if I really hate him, I'm going to spit in his face and I'm going to punch him on the cheek. And I'm going to say, get out of my face, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, there's something wrong here, right? If you say that, that Jesus is Lord and that he's God and, and he's my Savior, you should act differently, right? So there's a saying faith. There's a professing faith and there's a possessing faith, right? There's a, there's, there's a faith that only has words, and there's a faith that whose words are proved, are manifested by works, by true actions, right? So there's there's two different types of faith. And another thing you must realize is that faith is always placed in something. Okay, so uh, one of the things I I used to always use as an example when we were in Ukraine is the building that we were in, in Kiev, uh, on both sides of the auditorium there were outlets. And there's outlets on this side, there's outlets over here. And on one side of the the auditorium, uh, there was an outlet that didn't work. And on the other side, there was an outlet that did work, right? So uh, if you plug something into a non-working outlet, what is going to happen? Nothing, right? But if you plug something into a working outlet, it's going to work right so in order in order to get a reaction in order to have light let's say i'm plugging a lamp in i need to plug it into the right outlet okay and you could say that faith is like that 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 plug that you plug into an outlet right and you must plug into the right outlet in order to get something from that if you're plugging your faith into a jesus that's not the biblical jesus you're not going to get anything right? Uh, If you're plugging your faith, if you're plugging yourself into something that the Bible teaches is not true, you're you're not going to be saved, right? You must understand who the real Jesus is, who the Jesus of the Bible is, and then connect yourself with Christ through faith, and only then you will be saved. There's a, there's a pastor brother, Kent Brandenburg, he uses the illustration of Jesus as a jar of peanut butter. And it's, it's silly, right? Let's say you're talking to someone and, you, and he says, oh, I believe in Jesus. And you're like, oh, great. You know, the Bible says you believe in Jesus, you're saved, right? So you assume this person's saved, and then you start asking him, who is Jesus? And he's says, oh, I believe Jesus is a jar of peanut butter. I'm like, whoa, that's, there's something wrong here. That's, that's not the Jesus of the Bible, right? So you understand that in order for faith to save you, Faith must be real and genuine, and faith must be placed in the right socket, right? In the right outlet, in the right right Savior. There are many quote-unquote saviors around. There's only one who will save you, and that's the Jesus of the Bible. So let's take a look at the answer that the disciples gave Jesus. Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? What do the people say? Who do the people say Jesus is? Look at verse number 19. They answering said, John the Baptist. Now stop right there. I would like you to imagine the typical Jesus that a lot of people imagine, like in, in the movies and uh, in the cartoons and in the, the depictions of Jesus, this fair-haired, fair-skinned, long, wavy-haired Jesus with, with golden, uh, you know, this, this, this beam around his face, sharp blue eyes, maybe even a halo around his head, right? And I want you to imagine John the Baptist, okay? Now, do you, are you seeing two different pictures here? Because the Bible talks about John the Baptist was a real rough guy, right? He lived in the wilderness. Uh, the Bible says he, he uh, ate locusts and wild honey. Uh, he lived out, outside all the time. Uh, he wasn't a very well-groomed, woman-like, dainty guy, you could say, as most people imagine Jesus is. Now, we already know earlier in our chapter, because in Luke chapter 9, it tells us that John was already beheaded. By the time that we get here. In fact, if you look at verses 6 through 9 of Luke chapter 9, it says, And they departed, went through the towns, preaching the gospel, healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, by Jesus. And he was perplexed because it was said of some that John the Baptist was risen from the dead. So people saw Jesus and what he was doing. And they're saying, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. They're equating what Jesus is doing and, and how Jesus is ministering with John the Baptist. And so Herod, Herod uh, in verse number 9, says, John have I beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see of him. So when people were seeing what Jesus was doing, they're saying, John the Baptist rose from the dead. Now, if you look at our, our answer, it says some say John the Baptist, some say Elias. Who is Elias? That's Elijah. Now, what did Elijah look like? How did Elijah act? Was he as a real prim, proper guy that we, we imagined Jesus was? uh second kings 1 7 and 8 gives us gives us a description of elijah and uh the the king asks one of his servants uh his servants heard something from one of the prophets and he says uh, verse number seven it says and he said unto them his servants what manner of man which came to meet you and told you these words what did the guy look like and the servant answers the king and he says he was a hairy man And girt around the uh, girt with a leather girt with a girdle of leather around his loins. And the king said, "This is Elijah the Tishbite." So uh, Elijah was known for being kind of rough, not not the most well kept, prim and proper uh, person that you would see. So uh, think about this. Elijah's description sounds a lot like the description of. John the Baptist does it not? Uh, this is why we hear that John came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was a, very similar in mannerisms that uh, like uh, like Elijah was. Now we have a we don't have a description of Jesus anywhere in the Bible except uh, as Isaiah chapter fifty three tells us there was no, there no form or comeliness that we should desire of him. He didn't look special in any way. He didn't have a halo. He didn't glow or or anything like that. Like we would imagine maybe in a, in a movie or a car. Uh, uh, um, cartoon or something like that but but what's interesting is if the people think that jesus is either john the baptist resurrected or elijah returned back to the earth because remember elijah didn't die he was he was raptured away right then the image that people have of jesus as this fair-skinned well-groomed european man with long wavy hair blue eyes and a smile that could char- charm the fairest of maidens this is not the image of jesus that we see in the new testament here in the bible now i want to pause and I want to take a step back, and I want you to go all the way back to Luke chapter 1. And I want you to thumb through Luke chapter 1 with or Luke, cha- Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And I want you to look at what the what Luke teaches us about Jesus. We're just gonna look really quick, we're gonna go really quick at 20 things that we know about Jesus before we get to our text, right? What does the Bible teach us about Jesus? in the first nine chapters of Luke chapter 6. If you look at verses 26-27, we know that Jesus was born of a virgin. This is chapter 1. And also in in chapter 1, verses 32-36, through you see that the angel Gabriel reveals that Jesus would be five things. He would be great. He would be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord would give unto him the throne of his father David. He would reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom would have no end. Then if you look at verse number 43, we see that Elizabeth, which is John, John the Baptist's mother, called Mary the mother of her, what's that word said in verse number 43? The mother of her Lord, right? And so Jesus is Lord, right? He's king. He's the one who's in charge. And this is even before he's even born. And then we see in verse number 42, John the Baptist leaped in her womb. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 11, the angels declared that a Savior, Christ the... What's the word? Lord Lord was born. Uh, Verse number 20, uh, chapter 226, Simeon was waiting for the coming of the Lord's Christ And that he would not die until he saw him. And then he takes baby Jesus and calls him three things. God's salvation, the light of the Gentiles, and the glory of Israel. In uh, chapter 2, verses 47 through 49, we see Jesus at 12 years old uh, was astonishing the teachers of the law in the temple by his understanding and answers. And then he told his parents that he needed to be about his father's business. Now, Who was Jesus talking about? Was he talking about Joseph? He was talking about God the Father, right? He must be about God the Father's business. And then in chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, uh, we see that John the Baptist, whenever people was wondering that he was the Christ or not, he said, there's one mightier than I who's coming, and I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. This is talking about Jesus and then in verses 21 through 22, at Jesus, baptisms, uh, Jesus' baptism, only one time, the heavens opened up, the Holy Ghost descended upon Jesus, God the Father thundered His voice down from heaven, Thou art my beloved Son, in Thee I am well pleased. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 12, I want you to see this one. I want you to read this one with me. When Jesus was tempted by Satan after a 40-day fast, He answers Satan. He says, Jesus answering said unto him, it is said, "Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy what?" God. Whoa! Jesus is telling Satan that he is Satan's Lord and he is Satan's God. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is Satan's God. Jesus is Satan's Lord. Now he doesn't submit to God's lordship, but God, Jesus, is Satan's Lord. Uh, Look at verses 18 and 19 in chapter 4. Jesus in the synagogue when he was in Nazareth, he read Isaiah chapter 61 where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of our Lord. And then in verse number 21, he says, This day, today, today, This scripture is fulfilled in your ears. He's talking about, he is the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Christ, of the Messiah, all the way from Isaiah chapter 61. Then in verse number 34 of chapter 4, when Jesus was preaching with power in Capernaum, there was a demon-possessed woman who proclaimed that Jesus was who? The Holy One of God. And people were amazed at the authority and power that Jesus had. And because of that, his fame spread all around that area. And then in verses 41 through 44, it says, read with me of chapter 4. Now, when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And devils also came out saying, uh, many crying uh, out and saying, Thou art who? Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. And then then the 14th thing we see in chapter 5, verses 20 through 24, we see Jesus healing a man sick with palsy that was let down through the roof of the house that Jesus was teaching in. And in the ears of everyone that was present, he looks at this man and he says, Man, your sins are forgiven you. To which the Pharisees replied, Who can forgive sins but God alone? To which Jesus was replied, Duh, this is what I'm trying to get you to understand. Only God can forgive sins, and I just forgave this man's sins. So who am I? God, right? And then in chapter 6, verse 5, when the Pharisees accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking the Sabbath, Jesus told the Pharisees that he is Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord. He's the one who created the Sabbath. He equated himself to God there in that passage. In chapter 7, verse 16, when Jesus resurrected the dead man, the people who saw the miracle said, who visited his people? Verse number 16, there came fear and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up among us and that God hath visited his people. God has visited his people Chapter 7, verse 48. Jesus in the house of a Pharisee forgave the sins of the woman who washed his feet. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Only God can. Jesus forgives sins. Jesus is God. Chapter 8, verse 24. When a storm rose on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus rebuked the winds and the sea, and immediately everything was calm. Can you imagine that? Man, that's an amazing miracle. And who can do that but God alone? Now, I want you to read this one with me as well. Chapter 8, verse 39. This is Jesus when he cast the legion of demons out of the man from uh, the the demoniac of, of the Gadarenes. He told the man who was formerly possessed with a demon in verse number 39. He says, return to thine own house and show how great things, what's the next word? god hath done unto thee so go home and show them what god has done for you now what is what is the next uh, part of the verse say and he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things who Jesus. jesus had done unto him jesus is god right god and jesus these words are interchangeable God is Jesus, and Jesus is God. And then at the beginning of our chapter, in John chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus gives his disciples power and authority over all devils and diseases. Who can do that but God alone? Now think about this. I've just shown you 20 evidences that Jesus is Lord, God, and Christ from just the first nine chapters of Luke, just before we get to our text. Now, think about this. If the people that Jesus was teaching and preaching to had all of these evidence, maybe they didn't have every single one of these evidences, but they had several of these evidences. If the people had all of these evidences, why is it that they didn't believe that Jesus was Lord, Christ, Savior, and Messiah, as we should, right? Um, Did the people in Israel answer this question. Did the people in Israel have enough evidence to believe that Jesus was the Christ? Yes. I think we can all say yes. All right. Even if they had one of the 20 evidences, that's enough evidence to believe that Jesus is the Christ. But many of them had several of those evidences, maybe maybe more than that. So we, we say yes, they all had enough evidence to believe that Jesus was the Christ. But instead of believing that Jesus was the Christ, they said, well, John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the other prophets who's risen again. You know, it's really sad that despite all of the evidences, there are so many people that don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. There's so many evidences. There's a mountain of evidence to prove that Jesus is the Christ. Look at me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 keep your finger in Luke chapter 9. We'll go right back there. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Why is it that so many people, even though they have all of the evidence that they need, why is it that they won't come to Christ? Why is it that they won't understand, they won't come to faith in the Christ of the Bible? Well, verses 3 and 4, it says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are... Lost, in whom the God of this world, who's that? Satan, the God of this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest, or so that, right? The reason for the God of this world, Satan, blinding the minds of those people that don't believe is so that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto Them. Satan is the arch deceiver. He's really crafty. He's really deceptive. And he wants nothing more than to take your eternal souls. And so he, through many different uh, schemes of his, he seeks to blind the minds of those that don't believe so that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ would not shine unto them. Look at verse, uh, chapter number 3 in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. It says, Seeing then that we have such great hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which, which is abolished. So here we see that Moses, when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, after he left Mount Sinai, his face was glowing. It's not just glowing, it was shining. It was shining like the sun. Can you imagine if, if Pastor, when he got up behind the pulpit one time, if his face was shining like the sun? Would you imagine? I, I would be scared. Something something not right is going on here. So so people would 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 not run away from Moses. He had to put a veil over his face, right? He put a covering over his face so that people would not be scared of him. And so uh, uh, we see that there was a veil put over Moses' face. And then it says, verse number 14, But their minds were blinded for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the old testament which veil is done away in christ you've heard so many i'm sure you have if you've been a christian you've probably heard so many people say i don't understand the bible i read it and i have no clue what's going on why there's a veil that's over their eyes they can't see the light of the gospel they can't see the beauty of jesus christ Because there's the veil over their hearts as they read the Bible. But verse number 14 says, That veil is done away with in who? In Christ. That veil is taken away in Christ Jesus. And then it says in verse number 15, But even unto this day when Moses, that's the Old Testament, is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, so when those people, shall turn to the Lord that veil shall be taken away. There's good news. And the good news is if someone will turn to the Lord, God will take that veil away and they will see the beauty and the glory of the gospel Amen. and of God as our Lord in Christ. And it says, now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where God is, there's true freedom. There's true liberty. Amen? Now let's go back to our text. Our text is Luke 9, 18 through 20. And we already know the answer of the masses. We already know the answer of those uh, who who confess to be followers of the Messiah, but they don't believe in Jesus Christ. They say, well, Jesus is, is John the Baptist, or Jesus is an, a prophet or Elijah. They don't believe that he's the Christ. They don't believe that he's the Messiah. So Peter, who's the mouthpiece of the apostles in verse number 20, it says. But he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. That's the right answer. <laughs> We've already heard the wrong answers. And there are many wrong answers. Many wrong answers. But there's only one right answer. Right? Many wrong answers. Only one right answer. Jesus, uh, Peter says to Jesus, You are the Christ of God. That word Christ is... Is the same title as Messiah. That's an Old Testament title. Messiah was the promised seed of David who would be born of a virgin. He would crush. The head of the serpent, he would rule and reign, and his kingdom would have no end. When we go to the New Testament, we see that the Messiah, Christ, he is to be not just the Savior of the Jews, but he is to be the Savior of the world, that he came to seek and to save that which was lost, to draw all men unto himself and to give those who believe in him eternal life. This is what the Bible means when it calls Jesus the Christ. He is the Savior. He's the promised one. He's the one who is going to fix what we messed up in our fall. Uh, I actually, uh, your church has in your bookstore a a Baptist Confession of Faith. And I I, I just, I I pulled it out and I said, what does it say about Jesus in there? And I'm just going to read what that Confession of Faith says. Confession of Faith is just what churches say that this is what we believe. This is who Jesus is. It says, we believe that God the Son is the second person set forth in the divine trinity, that he is the very God of very God that he is almighty, merciful, and just. He is holy, righteous, and true. He is eternally existent. Jesus, when he was born, he he wasn't created at that time. He's always been. He is the creator, right? It says he's eternally existent, glorious in nature, possessing the attributes of omnipotence, being everywhere, omniscience, knowing everything, and omnipresence, uh, sorry, uh, omnipotence, all power, Uh, omniscience, all knowledge, omnipresence everywhere, right? That God the Father through the Holy Spirit is actually and eternally His divine Father and Mary the Virgin is actually and innocently His human mother that He in harmony with His divine office mediates, seeks, and saves thus exercising the mediatorial office of redemption. A mediator is, let's say, these two guys are fighting, right? And they're punching each other and, and a mediator is someone that goes in between them and, and creates peace between them, calms them down and now you guys aren't mad at each other anymore. The Bible says that before we were Christians, we were the enemies of God. But Jesus is our mediator. He, he makes peace between us and God. This is who Jesus is, what you just heard. That's what the Bible teaches about Jesus. He wasn't just a great teacher. He wasn't just a a great prophet. He wasn't just a Jewish rebel who was killed by the Romans. He he is the very God of very God. He is the eternal Son. He is the Savior of the world. He is the only way to salvation, the only door to 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 God the Father all of those who hear his call to salvation and respond in repentance and faith will be saved eternally and kept safe in his hand and no one and no thing can pluck us out of his hand Amen. so here's a question do you know him do you know the the real Jesus <laughs> the Jesus of the Bible do you know him as savior and lord you know there's there's a hot debate in christianity uh today who who jesus is is jesus lord and does someone need to make jesus lord in order to be saved and you know i don't believe you make jesus anything you just recognize and submit to the fact that he is lord and and we've already looked at many different passages that teach that jesus is lord he's the boss he's the king we're his subjects and if we believe in jesus then we should live a life of submission to that, right? If I say Jesus is my Lord, but I'm living as if I am my Lord, there's something wrong here, right? If Jesus is my Lord, Jesus tells me where to go. Jesus tells me what to wear. Jesus tells me how to act. Jesus tells me what to think about. Not me, right? If Jesus is my Lord, my life has been totally transformed. I went from a state of autonomy where I wanted to do my own thing, my own way, and now I submit to Jesus and He tells me uh, now what to do. Do you know Jesus as Savior and Lord? If you don't know Him as the Bible presents Him, then there's no point for us to go any further in any of these sermons. You're not on the court. You're not on the team if you don't know Jesus as, as Peter says, the Christ of God. In order to be a disciple, you must first know the Lord. Remember, we started out this sermon by reading two questions that Jesus asked of his disciples. Who do the people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? He got two completely different answers. The people thought he was a great prophet. The disciples believed him to be the Christ of God. One saves, one answer saves. The other answer. Sends you to hell. The other answer deceives you. One answer leads to hell. The other leads to the bliss of heaven. One answer makes you a child of God. The other answer has you stay the child of the devil. So what's your answer? How do you answer the question? Who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that Jesus is? Well, Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus your christ is he your god is he your lord and savior have you placed your trust in him have you come to a a, the end of yourself where you realize that you are going the wrong way that your way leads to destruction your way leads to heartache your way leads to pain and eternal separation from god and where you've turned from your way and you turn to christ and you say god i give up I surrender. I'm done doing things my way. I know that you're the boss, and now I'm going to do what you want me to do. Yes. There are so many people who have a head knowledge of God and not a heart knowledge of God. I heard this many times. Maybe you've heard it many times too, but a lot of people miss heaven by 18 inches. And what, is that? what does that even mean, right? 18 inches, that's about the distance between your head and your heart. So what that's saying is there's a lot of people who have a head knowledge of God. They know what the Bible teaches about Jesus, but they never submitted to him. They've never believed in him and they they don't trust him. And so because of that, they're not saved To, to be saved. It's not believing in the existence. It's, it's a true trust and reliance upon Jesus Christ. When Jesus is your Lord and your God, he is the one who decides what you will do with your life. He decides what your desires are going to be, what your goals in life are going to be, what your future plans are, what your activities, your friends, your pattern of life uh, is. Uh, you, You were bought. If you're a Christian, you were bought with a price. That's what 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 through 20 says. It says, What know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? If you're a Christian... If you've submitted to to Christ and you've believed in him for salvation, you're, you're bought, right? God is your master. God is your Lord. You've been bought with a price. So therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body, if you were bought by Christ, is not your body. It's his body. Your mouth is not your mouth. It's his mouth. You should use your mouth and your body and your soul, your very existence, to love and to glorify God. And only when you do that will you have true peace and true joy and true fulfillment in this life. This world is full of empty The Bible says there is pleasure in sin, but it's for a season. It's only for a short period of time, and then you have a whole bunch of bad uh, repercussions that happen because of that. But when you live for the Lord, you live for the Lord with no regrets, right? You leave it all on the court, and you have the life of joy and peace of knowing God. If you know who Jesus is, if He's your Savior, if He's your God, if He's your Lord, then you should be willing to tell others about Him. There are so many people who don't know who the real Jesus is. So tell them, tell them. So Jesus has a question for each and every one of you this morning, and you got to answer this question before we go any further. Who am I? Jesus says, who am I? Who do you believe Jesus is? That's the most important question, and we need to get this question out of the way first. Let's pray.